Hello and welcome back to Mystical Sisterhood. This is your host Maureen Spielman and today I sit down for a conversation on yoga, PTSD, and anxiety amongst many other things with Betsy Grimm. Betsy is in my neighborhood and I was so thrilled to meet her acquaintance because she has a lot to say and share about ways that you can intervene with yourself when you're in an anxious state, um, a lot about how our anxious mind can get in the way of our true self, the importance of a daily practice in coming to ourselves, and we've got a guided practice with, within and mantras that help with anxiety and fear. So I am excited for you to listen in and learn alongside me. I'll see you in the episode. Thank you for being here. Hey there, welcome to Mystical Sisterhood. This is your host, Maureen Spielman. I started this show to highlight the intuitives, healers, and other courageous women that I've met along my journey and continue to meet. Through amazing interviews, I seek to ask insightful questions to uncover ways in which you, the listener, can apply the wisdom and knowledge to your own life. I believe that we're all in this together, so sharing healing and joy and bringing community together is both my passion and purpose. If you'd like to learn more about the Mystical Sisterhood community I'm building, please visit www.mysticalsisterhood.com. See you in the episode. Welcome back to Mystical Sisterhood. This is your host, Maureen Spielman. And today I am sitting down with Betsy Grimm. And I, I like to do a shout out if someone introduced me to my guest. And today that would be Libby Paul. So I'm super excited that she introduced the two of us. I am going to just read a little bit of your bio because I like the way it's written. And I think it's going to give the listener today an overview of who you are, that where you've studied, what you've done before we kind of, I think, funnel that down a little bit into a few topics. So Betsy Grimm is a somatic-based practitioner trained in Hakomi Mindful Somatic Psychotherapy. She is a yoga instructor uh, instructor um, with Kundalini and yoga for mood management, and she teaches meditation. Um, I love that you said, Betsy, her own anxiety, depression, PTSD, and blatant desperation led her to, to out-of-the-way healing places her former self would have rolled her eyes at. That's totally. so, <laughs> so great. Um, and then maybe lastly, her spiritual wanderings include yoga's rich breath work, mantra, meditative, and bhakti practices, as well as continuum movement, ecstatic dance, body work, sweat lodges, ritual guided work with sacred medicines, prayer, and deepening connections with nature. So you are well-studied and more than, you have so much to share today. Uh, welcome, Betsy. Thank you for being here with me. Oh my gosh, Maureen. I'm really excited to be here with you. Yeah. And especially because I'm meeting a new neighbor, a new sister. That uh -huh. makes me so happy. So mm -hmm. yeah, I think we're probably just a couple miles apart. And yes, um, yes. yeah, I, I love that, that too. We've been connected. I think that's a, a just a great place to start that there are more of us out there who are interested in having these conversations. 
And sometimes, I mean, we may have, we're in neighboring communities. We may have passed each other in the grocery store on, you know, the main street in town, right? you know, through the years and not even know. And that's, I think that's the importance of connections too, when we can connect each other in this sisterhood. Hey, I think you should meet, or it's really valuable to our, our growth as individuals and these communities. I totally agree. That connection piece is so important. And I really love what you're creating here is this community because, um, yeah, that's been a a big important driver for me is really finding places where we can join together and where we can share our wisdom and also share our desperation and Mm -hmm. share all the questions that we have too. Uh, Yeah, such a good point with the wisdom and the desperation because (laughs) that's like I never want to be bypassing the realness of life. Mm-hmm. And, um, and there's so many great things about manifestation and abundance and all, you know, this body of work. And we all come to the table with our life experiences, which are filled with joy and hurt our wounded places, our traumas. So, um, you know, that might be a good place to start because before we, got on, you know, there's a lot of topics that we want to kind of weave our way through today, but I know anxiety and, and just this, this, um, discussion around anxiety is maybe a great starting point. And because I don't know your story or why you care so deeply about this, would that be a comfortable place to start for you? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, um, my story is, is, I'm a Midwest girl, grew up pretty conventionally and um, just kind of following the mold that culture laid out. And it actually looked pretty good from the outside. Um, And then at age 40, my sister unexpectedly died. And um, it was just a complete unraveling for me. Um, Part of it was the, the suddenness of it had an impact. And part of it was she was my everything. She was two years older and my only sibling. And um, I did later uh, find out that it was PTSD that I was dealing with, but it was pretty extreme anxiety. Um, And I I did kind of jump into action. I was trying to care for her kids and for my parents and for my own kids as well. And um, trying to anyway. And um, yeah, I started to figure out like, I, I need help here. And SSRIs would be helpful for a certain period, but they really, they just didn't, that, that didn't sustain for me. And um, it was the beginning of my starting into cognitive behavioral work and sort of digging underneath things. And that was really powerful to sort of open up these areas that were just blind to me before um, and really started my journey. But um, before her death, I had already had some experience with yoga And I just kind of knew that this would be a place where I could find some relief. And so it was, it was sort of, it became my lifeline. And I really appreciated these yogic communities that could support me and could offer other healing modalities too. Um, But I can remember very specifically, I was in uh, an Amy Weintraub workshop and she works with yoga for mood management And it was the first time where in all of my kind of uh, 
overwhelm um, that I actually found my way to like some openness and found my way to myself. And it was the first time where I felt like, oh, here I am. And it was amazing. It was so striking, the difference. And later, I, I, I well, I knew like I had to become a yoga um, uh, instructor and that I would need to follow her work. And so that started to really help me understand some really um, basic, practical ways to work with my anxiety. Oh, wow. Yeah. Thank you so much for that backstory and just it, your life, your life story and what you went through and the PTSD and the trauma of it all. Um, and the, and just like, it feels like a gentle coming back to yourself, but those moments, the, that revelation that you had on that day and that time, I want you, if you can, because I feel like yoga is one of these things that sometimes, and I'll speak from my own experience, it always felt like the thing that I should be doing, mm. that it was going to be, um, I feel like sometimes like the way people can approach yoga is like very dualistic. Like you're either doing it or you're not doing it, mm. mm-hmm. if that makes sense. And so um, I think it's a really good conversation to even say like, wow, what are the benefits of a yoga practice? And that seems like such a basic question. Yeah. But when you describe your own experience of like, even during those times that were so just probably dense and challenging to get through, what were some qualities that occurred in you or what, like when you got to your mat, what did that provide for you? Hmm. Yeah, it's, it's such a good question. And it makes me think, um, well, first of all, that not everyone loves yoga. And Mm -hmm. I'm always surprised at how many yoga teachers when they talk about their first experience with yoga, they actually hated it. (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, part of it is, is that we're, we can, you know, bring everything, make everything quiet, and we have to be with ourselves. And that means being with our thoughts. And so, um, yeah, I would love to talk about particular types of yoga that, that can meet more of the, the anxious mind. Um, because yeah, not all yoga. In fact, if you went into a yin yoga class, it might actually have you feel really stressed out and, um, and in your head because there is so much spaciousness there, (laughs) (laughs) but, um, you know, yoga, how it works. I remember we were asked this in my first yoga training and it was like, well, why does it work? And we all knew we'd had these experiences like, well, I don't know. I just feel so much better. And what is that? And, um, and it's funny because I still now I, I marvel at the people that um, come out of the yoga class before me and they're just completely changed. And I always mm-hmm. think it'd be really interesting to take pictures of people before they go into <laughs> class and after they go, they come out of class. Um, but uh, sorry, I'm losing my train of thought. Back to, oh, there's so much here, Maureen. Um, so how yoga works is really, it is a practice that helps us tr- transcend the limitations of the mind. 
And that's a big concept, right? Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, we're used to the asana practice, which is so much about body and movement, but there is a whole lifestyle and philosophy piece to yoga that's it's pretty vast and deep. Um, but that really at its base is what we're doing is we're learning how to work with our mind. And so, um, yeah, yoga can be, uh, this place where we learn to step away from our thoughts and learn to become the witness to our thoughts. Mm. Right. And that's a huge concept. That's a big thing. And that's part of, you know, why meditation is so important is to learn, Oh gosh, I'm not that. And these thoughts just are right up on us. It's so far hard to have that separation. Um, but man, that is just such a skill to develop is learning how to witness. And, you know, on the laboratory of our mats, we can really practice that awareness. And you kind of have to, especially when you're starting yoga and you really have to pay attention. Where are my feet? Where are my arms? There's all these ways you have to pay attention or you're going to yeah. fall over. Mm-hmm. Right. And um, so, but it's a great way to practice that and just watch your mind and be like, oh, look where my wa- mind went. Oh, isn't that interesting? Right. Yeah. And you, you have can- to come back. Uh-huh. <laughs> I think too, as I've, um, been adopting a practice recently. I, for me, it's been, it's almost like allowance, allowing, mm. allowing, um, the taking of an hour. I remember when I used to try it more in my twenties, all the classes seemed to be an hour and 15 to an hour and a half. Mm-hmm. And I, what I find now is there's more in that hour range that for me, is a more, more accessible, uh-huh. but it's, yeah. it's, it's an allowance. And that almost like, um, it's almost like one of those things that if it doesn't catch for you the first time, maybe try different instructors too, because I think you were going to say to the, the types of yoga can, yes. depending yes. on which Avenue you go down. And we kind of talked about that Kundalini. And I recently heard about Kundalini and I, was super excited. And I logged onto a site and kind of got on, they had a whole bunch of teachings and a couple of weeks free and it was so overwhelming. So to your point about how it can be, and then you had said like, oh, maybe you want to go this direction, Maureen, if you want to know more about that, but right. yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, I'm, I'm glad you're bringing that up and, and yoga, like how, even the timing of it can uh, be important. And uh, those hour and a half practices aren't as accessible for a lot of us. Um, and the truth is, is that even three minutes, these three minute practices can really um, be worthy and really be helpful. And so, yeah, we can kind of be creative at how we work with these different practices. Um, and there are di- very different types of yoga and different ways to work with it. And um, yeah, I can talk more about some of the ways that are really helpful to work with anxiety, that more anxious mind, because it's actually quite different than how you've worked with a slower, um, more in the realm of uh, Tomasic or the depressed state. There's Mm -hmm. uh, different Mm -hmm. ways of working with it and different modalities meet them in different ways. Yeah. I love that. And, and so speaking to that, because when anxiety is with us, it's in our mind, but does it also settle into our nervous system and become kind of like a loop for us where we have that, like I, before we met today, um, 
I don't carry a lot of anxiety. I think I did when I was younger. And I remember even the first time I had a ramp up towards like, I don't know if it was a panic attack. I don't think it was ever, but I just remember when, and like you're saying, you know, things can come up later in our lives. You had a traumatic loss event. And then I don't know how much anxiety was with you before that point, but I feel like that anxiety does live within the nervous system because I think I have a lot of ways that I ground myself and and steady myself. But this morning (laughs) I mentioned to you that I was in the DMV and it was for my son's license, but I was sitting to the side and my body was just more flooded with Mm -hmm. a memory. There was something there. Mm -hmm. I mean, that was Mm -hmm. definitely that operating. So is that with anxiety? And this obviously is like a straightforward kind of basic question too, but is that your experience that we experience it sort of throughout our different bodies, our mind, our emotions, our nervous system? Well, first I just want to give you credit mama, because that driver's license thing is a rite of passage. And so I can understand why things were coming up for you. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh huh. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, maybe we can talk a little bit about the anxious mind um, and how it does get in the way from us really being uh, more connected to ourselves yeah. and just the pattern, whether it's anxiety or not, the patterns of the mind that really can get in these ways of looping and can get stuck in these ways of looking at what we should have, could have, would have done and get in these places of forward tripping that really get us out of the present moment. Yeah, please, please. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. So anxiety, it's a big topic for me. Um, My anxiety and I are tight. We've been hanging around each other for a long time. And um, one of the things that I think is important as those of us who really do struggle with patterns of anxiety is to befriend it and to know that this is actually very biological and that our primitive limbic system, which is doing everything it can to keep us safe, right, is it's doing what it can. It can, and um, that you know it's not exactly the system that works best for our modern lifestyle. Um, it was built to help us outrun a saber-toothed tiger, and we're not doing that so much anymore. And um, and so one place to start with anxiety is just give yourself a lot of grace. And see if you can, yeah, just find some self-compassion and understanding this isn't me, this is biology. And another important thing with anxiety is to remember that just because in the sensations of anxiety are so strong, but, and they feel like an alarm in the body, but just because it feels like it's an alarm doesn't mean that it's an alarm. And so it's really important to um, recognize that my body's signaling doesn't actually mean that that's really uh, as urgent as what it feels. Um, I love this quote by Robert Fulgham, who says, don't believe everything you think, (laughs) right? Yes. We could get really attached to that. And when we have these sensations that are really strong, um, we can get, yeah, really connected that this is the truth. And so one of the people that I love in her process, Byron Katie, she asked these four questions to help work with your thoughts. Yeah, you're smiling, you know. (laughs) Yeah. Um, That is it true, starting with that basic question. And that's a great place of inquiry. Are these thoughts? Is it true? 
And then also, is it helpful? <laughs> so um, those are great places to start and to recognize that the ways that we're getting stuck in these patterns of uh, being in the past or being in the future um, really pull us out of the present moment. And that's why I love um, how Andrea Gibson, who's a great spoken word poet, uh, she, they talk about how um, they talk about worrying and they say the present moment is far more doable than the future or the past. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that's why um, any of these practices that help us get into the present moment are so important for all of us and particularly to interrupt that, that anxious mind. Yeah. And I, I love all the references that you just brought in there that um, the work that has come before or the quotes that remind us mm-hmm. uh, of the present moment. But even with the Byron Katie questions of, is it true? Do I know it to be true? Um, I always forget the fourth one. I know like, what would I be without that thought? I love those mm-hmm. because they allow us to, like you just said, witness our thoughts and we believe where our thoughts before learning ways to witness them. And right. when we witness them, they, they, I feel like they, it, it loosens up the grip a little bit. They, if we believe that we are those thoughts, then that's a hard pattern to break. But if I, we be, yeah. Yeah. I can, love how you said that loosens up the grip. I think that's what it's about. It's like teasing mm-hmm. out those spaces and getting more space between the thoughts. Yeah. And then there's just more space for you. Right. Mm-hmm. And then you have a little bit more clarity and the more you can tease that out, the better. So, yeah, I, I very much resonate with that. Yeah, um, I was. And gonna, then I also. Yeah, yeah. Sorry. Go ahead. Well, I was just going to say during yoga classes, um, I would love to experience your teaching at some point. But I know that yoga also gives the opportunity for the person experiencing it when the teacher brings their wisdom in. And it can be the most gentle reminder of setting an intention or talking about your thoughts and anxious loops, whatever it is that is sort of the theme of that class or that day. But it brings these reminders because we were talking before we started too about like how we can pull in all the books in the world. But sometimes I will read an entire book. And if you ask me a week or two or two later, what it was about, I'd be like, uh, I, I can't really give you a synopsis, but you know, one of the, you, I know one of the takeaways you wanted today for the listener was what are the simple things I can do? What are, um, what are reminders that help me connect to myself? So, yes. you know, I, you know, if you want to talk a little bit about that, like any things, and I know today you also were interested in leading the the listener through yes. uh, meditation as well. Yes, so, yes, I'm excited place. to do that. Yeah, yeah. So getting practical with it, I would love to do that because um, the reality is is you know how we frame our thoughts and how we think about our anxiety that's important, mm-hmm. but or just how we think about whether it's anxiety or just the mind getting the best of us, right? That's really important and. Um, for the anxious mind, it's like we can't quite think our way out of anxiety. 
right? We got to, in my opinion, we got to intervene and we got to go to the body. And so Mm -hmm. some of the tips that are really important to me is one is to intervene early. And so before we get really, really amped up, and this is where witnessing helps to be able to recognize, oh, I see what's going on. I know that pattern in my body. I see, and to intervene. And one of the uh, best, quickest ways to do that is to find our breath. And so, you know, fear, which is at the root of our anxiety, it has a particular breath pattern. In fact, come to find out all emotions have a particular breath pattern. So it's really interesting. Anytime that we just shift our breath pattern, we can help get us out of that emotional state. And with fear, the breath is up high and it's fast. It it actually feels like we're not getting enough oxygen in, but it's not true. We are getting enough oxygen in. We're actually uh, depleting um, uh, the, the carbon dioxide is actually more of a situation, but we've, we've got plenty of oxygen coming in mm-hmm. and it's this upper, uh, energy that is, um, that has us kind of spinning in our head. And so one of my favorite breaths, and we can bring this in right now is, is that navel breathing, that diaphragmatic breathing. And so I like to teach it that if you place your hand on your belly, mm-hmm. And just let the inhale expand and puff up the belly so that you feel your hand move with the belly on the inhale. So each inhale, there's this puffing up the belly and the exhale, the hand will descend. And sometimes that's harder for people. They're not used to it. And um, so it can be helpful to put your upper hand on your heart or on your upper chest and make sure that that hand isn't moving. You can kind of test yourself. And just see if you can really concentrate on getting the breath down into the belly. We're actually bringing breath into the lower part of the lungs and that flattens out the diaphragm, which puffs out the belly. And just that awareness, forget about the science of slowing the breath down because it does, you'll probably notice the breath is slower, but it also works with our awareness that when we bring our awareness to our bellies, we're getting out of the head, we're bringing our awareness down, right? Mm -hmm. So that is a quick one. And let's stay with it. Actually, you can stay with this belly breath, you can stay with it for the rest of the podcast, you can stay with it for the rest of your life. (laughs) It's a good one. And this is one of my favorites. It's so darn simple. But um, especially when we get into things like panic attacks, where we're just not thinking as clearly, we're not in our prefrontal cortex, Mm -hmm. it's really good to have simple, simple, simple. So this simple tool, just place your hand on your belly and breathe into your belly. Mm -hmm. So breath, yes, that is an important one for me. And then getting moving. So anxiety is a lot of energy, right? And that's why going into a yin class where you're lying down and rolling around, it's like, yeah, I don't know. That doesn't work for me. Mm -hmm. Like to meet that with movement, meet it with some vigor. That's where I find that we can actually start to move some of that energy out. And so that, that vigor can come in yoga, can come in the form of sun salutations, but it can come in forms of, you know, really doing some sweaty movement, playing tennis. Tennis is a great one. Cause again, you've got to use your awareness, use your focus, dance, right? Get yourself moving. And then there are particular ways that you can use, use your yoga to support that. 
anxiety, whether it's with getting really into your legs, again, getting your awareness down, getting your awareness into your feet and doing things like chair pose, doing things like balancing poses that take a lot of focus, really, really helpful. And then a big tip that I find incredibly helpful is getting into navel practices where we're really working our core. And my teacher, Kia Miller, who I can't say enough about her wisdom, but she is all about the core. And the belief is, is that if we are not strong in ourselves, how can we be with all this change and all this stuff that's happening in our environment? And so the practice of our times is about getting into the core. Mm. And so, yeah, 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 super important. So yeah, getting into the body is great. And then also working with our energy system. And this is why I love the practice of yoga is that it is working with our energy system as well as the body. And let's face it in anxious energy or in most of the energy we're moving through the world with, we're kind of out fractured. Like we're out here, we're tending to this, we're looking at this, we're worried about this, and we're sort of outside of ourselves, right? And it's a really discordant energy. And so these practices that help to harmonize our energy, like yoga, to work with our energy in prescriptive ways can be so fabulous. And that includes working with, you know, body workers that have ways of helping our energy system come into balance, Reiki, whatever that is. Um, But also just the simple task of grounding to the earth. So taking your shoes off, going out and connecting to the earth. Yes, it sounds hippie-like, but the reality is, is that we are electrical beings and right beneath us Mm -hmm. is ground. And it's actually really important for our energetic systems to connect to it. And so we can bring our awareness to our feet. We can soak up the negative ions that are in the earth. And that is so important for our whole, for our, to ground our energy. And then- yeah. Sorry. Well, I'm not, yeah. No, no, no. It's, it's what I'm getting from a lot of this too, is yes, you're kind of coming at it from the anxiety sort of, you know, lens, but yeah. then how important, even how you were just saying in these times and this discordant energy, and it's really kind of neat. Cause I see it coming together as like, oh, wow, this isn't just a conversation about this conversation today. I, I I can see like even Betsy, almost all the conversations that have been happening even through this podcast. It's just a reminder for everyone listening, a reminder, a reminder to, to practice, practice. Never has there been a more important time because, mm. and I, um, I'll have you go on to the next and I'm curious about, even lifestyle practices aside from breathing movement. And I'm almost thinking like, I love to have um, sort of sometimes a screensaver on my phone for whatever I'm working on at that point in my life. Um, Like right now I'm doing a process with a group of people, the presence process. So mine says, I love myself unconditionally. Mm -hmm. You can't see it, but it almost, I feel like for people, oh, it's 11, 11 (laughs) Um, for people who do experience anxiety. It's almost like, uh, it might be above someone's, you know, design abilities, but having like a cheat sheet where, where you're saying that intervene, intervening 
Mm-hmm. When you feel it coming on, when you feel it, that's so mm-hmm. important, right? Mm-hmm. Or like, and then you have like, okay, these four or five things I can, I, mm-hmm. I can look to in order to call me because I do believe that it's in the moments remembering, remembering. Oh my gosh. Isn't and that, that the trick? It's yeah. practice, right? Yeah. It's, it's yeah. going back. It's going back. So yeah, because I know like a lifestyle one I do is really limit my news consumption greatly mm-hmm. as mm-hmm. to not take in that energy. Mm-hmm. That, that's not for everybody, but yeah. Well, I love yeah how you're working with this personally and just bringing up this idea of practice. And for me, that actually is something incredibly important to me is having a daily practice. It's something in um, the Kundalini lineage that they take very seriously. In fact, um, it might be that you work with the same um, type of practice for 40 days, um, or it could be extended, it could be your whole life. But this uh, way of deepening into a practice is so important. It's like our body can, as we do it day after day, it really, it's like it gets into a new groove. And what I find is it can just give you structure. And it's like, you come back to this friend, you know, okay, I can go do this thing and I can find myself again. And really that's what these practices, all of them are about is how we find these pathways back to ourselves. And when you can make that a regular part of your day, um, it kind of just simplifies things. Mm -hmm. And in Kundalini, they do recommend that you do it first thing in the morning. Mm -hmm. And the reasoning there is that it's like, we kind of get ourselves in our body, we get our energy rolling and coherent, and then we um, can take on the day from a different place. Mm -hmm. And even just the idea of in the morning that we're just more connected to other realms. And so there's a way that morning um, time slot really works. And it doesn't work for all people, obviously. And there's always value in just sneaking in the little practices throughout the day. Mm -hmm. But for those that are like, oh my gosh, I couldn't possibly take on um, a daily practice. I, I understand that too. And I don't want to say, oh, you, you know, this is something, this is an assignment you must add to your day. But I do find that um, when I'm grounded and find that pathway to myself, I just, I am more efficient. I can be more present. I can meet people from a different place. Mm -hmm. And so sometimes we want to think, oh, we don't have time for it, but I see it as like, well, actually, I think that it makes, uh, it, it makes us just more efficient throughout our day. Yeah. yeah. It, it can create that spaciousness. And, mm-hmm. and I think that's why there it's good for the repetition of these messages of the messages over and over from different voices and conduits. Um, because I was thinking the simplest of things like fill your own cup first, you can hear it like, Oh, I heard that 10 years ago first or eight years ago. You know what I mean? But mm. then the more you hear it, the more, and then you, <laughs> you begin to know, oh, that's really true. Maybe I wouldn't say it that way, or I don't like those particular words, but it's that self-nourishment and that really putting yourself first. And it makes sense to kind of honor yourself in the beginning of the day in order to, to I don't know, be able to give to the other parts of the day that you are are required to, because we all have to, whether Mm -hmm. it's a job or our kids or an aging parent that that's there for us. So it seems really important to me. 
Right. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. I couldn't yeah. agree more. Yeah. yeah. Did you want to share your breath practice today? I do. And, and yet there's a couple more things just on the anxiety front that I can't not share because they've been so important to me. And again, because our mind gets stuck, it wants to stay in the mind (laughs) that I think hearing these ways to intervene um, can be really important. And one of the things about, uh, about anxiety is a place we can really get stuck is that we can really feel alienated. We can feel all alone. Nobody gets it. And it's a, it's a feeling, it sort of feels like we're trapped. And, um, and so, yes, we can bring that anxiety to, to others and we might want them to amp it up and be, and meet us where we are like, oh my gosh, can you see this person? And they, and we might want them to kind of stir up to our level. Um, but what I suggest is not coming towards people with that energy, but rather with this very vulnerable energy. And you have to find the right people to do this with, but to be able to reach out and just say to someone who cares about you, I am anxious and it is really hard right now. Mm -hmm. And just being able to reach out and touch someone and not have to have them fix it, but just to have them see that and hear that, that that is, that can change everything. And it reminds me of this story we heard in our Hakomi training about monkeys. There's a particular monkey that when they are under threat that, um, or after they've had some stressful event happen, that they will go and touch another monkey. And then that monkey touches another monkey. Right, (laughs) And they're diffusing this energetic charge. And there's just something so incredibly beautiful in Mm -hmm. that and such a powerful reminder. And just also in that place of touch and the power of touch, that if we can also find the person that can give us a hug, if we can Mm. ask for a hug and have a hug, we know there's There's science in how that can co-regulate our systems. We don't have to talk. It's just this feeling of touch and the Uh way of being held and resting into that. So yeah, more hugs. So beautiful. So beautiful. It feels like themes of safety and trust in there and leaning in and Mm. receiving. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Knowing you're not alone. That's Mm -hmm. beautiful. Yeah. Um, I know you've got your training in Hakomi mm-hmm. and you just mentioned it. Do you want to say, you know, a little bit more about why it's so special to you? You know, I do, but maybe before we go there, Maureen, sure. I'd love to talk a little bit more about Kundalini. Beautiful. Would that be okay? <laughs> yeah. I okay. Love it. Okay. Great. Kundalini <laughs> is kind of its own breed of yoga. Hmm. And, um, So, yeah, we talked about, you know, there are so many different types of yoga out there and and Kundalini is different than a lot of what we see those Hatha and Vinyasa classes. And um, it is very much tied into how we work with the system, the energy system of the body and how we bring ourselves into coherence. And we do it through these very interesting and sometimes unusual ways of using the body sort of as an instrument. And so you might be working with the breath in a particular way. You might be having the arms out in a particular, at a particular angle. 
And in these Kriyas, they're actually designed so that maybe for a couple of minutes, you're working with one movement. And then another, the next couple of minutes, you're working with a completely different movement. And it's all with this way in which we are systematically working with the energy systems of the body. So it's quite different. And yeah, often we are trying to um, build the energy or stabilize the energy or direct the energy. And so through that, you can actually get really prescriptive about um, different effects that you're looking for. And so this is where Kundalini gets really interesting is that they have different practices that can meet different needs. And that could be anything from anxiety to feeling foggy in your head. Um, There's actually a Kriya that's really helpful for Alzheimer's that's been proven to help with Alzheimer's. Um, There can be detoxifying Kriyas, ones that build confidence that have that Uh, emphasis at the navel, Um, self-love, emotional balance. There's all these different ways that you can actually kind of shop for just the right practice that meets you. So it's quite different and it's a little odd, but um, (laughs) (laughs) to me, it's, it's, it's sort of like supercharging your yoga practice. And so for me, because of my high anxiety, there's a way that that has met me in ways that other yoga hasn't really beneficial. Is it, is it easy for people to find practitioners or, you know, I can make it easy for you because (laughs) I have a teacher that has, um, that I couldn't recommend more highly. Her name is Kia Miller and she has her classes on glow, which is a subscription site. It's glo.com. And she has hundreds of these and you can search on them depending on what you're looking for. And she really truly is just a masterful teacher. She has um, gone deep into her own practice and into her studies of Kundalini. And um, yeah, she has everything to do with sort of my evolution Mm -hmm. as a student and as a teacher. Ah, Okay. Thanks for that share. That, That will be really beneficial. Awesome. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So where would you like to go from there? Do you think? Um, I didn't know if you wanted to jump into the, the breath practice. Yes, that would, this would be a great time to do that. (laughs) Thank you. So yeah, let's do a little practice here. I'll break out. There's so many, and this is where it gets hard for me because there are so many good ones to choose from, but I thought I'd pick one that we can do um, with, the group and this can work for people that are even driving in their car or doing whatever you're doing. Okay. Um, and this, this breath, my teacher Kia Miller calls this the anti insanity breath. <laughs> so <laughs> good name. It's a, yeah, <laughs> it's very practical breath and, um, yeah, you can, it's pretty portable. You can take it with you. And so maybe before we get started with this breath, we can just start to find our way to our seat. And if you are driving, you can, you know, do this driving, but if you can sit on something that kind of gives you a firm base underneath you, so you can find that tall spine, that's great. Or again, working with the anatomy of the body, sort of the instrument of the spine here. And we're going to work with um, uh, mudra. So the mudra, the hand position is this 
left palm is going to come and face the heart and the left elbow is kind of winging out to the side. Yeah. And then the right hand is going to be placed on the back of the left hand. So both palms are facing you, right palm on top of the left, left palm closest to the heart, but not touching the heart, maybe about, I don't know, four inches away or something. And then the thumbs connect. So this is how specific Kundalini gets. And then if you can get the arms so that they're parallel to the ground, so the forearms are sort of in this parallel line, that's great. So so if someone's driving, they can just do the breathing part. Yeah, just (laughs) a good point. Just do the breathing point part. And there is also uh, a position or a drishti uh, gazing point for the eyes. And so obviously if you're driving, keep your eyes open. (laughs) Listen and come back. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. So um, the, the, actually the drishti is to look down towards the tip of the nose, which is very funky and weird. It kind of has a little bit of a cross-eyed feeling to it. Um, but this is again, very prescriptive in the way it's working with the optic nerve and putting some pressure on the pituitary gland. So all that said, we'll start to bring in the breath here. And if you know, it makes your eyes crazy, just let that go and do your best. But the breath is taking an inhale. It's all through the nose. And then pause at the top of the inhale. And then exhale. And pause. And then cycle again as you inhale. Pause for maybe three or four or five counts. And then exhale. And try to pause for that same amount. So we'll continue that pattern, inhaling and pausing. Exhale and pause. And here's where you can start to lengthen that pause if it feels available. So I like to say kind of, make it interesting, make the pause interesting. So you're stretching it out a bit, but not so much that it's like you're gripping. And so you can stretch it out. Maybe it reaches as far as 10 counts, but you make it work for you and try to keep the pause at the top of the breath and the bottom of the breath the same. And this pausing of the breath has a fabulous way of just interrupting our automatic cycles. And so we have this opportunity as we pause to actually kind of wake up and pay attention. So be with that, that little paying attention. It's available, this kind of breaking off automatic. And you can pay attention to notice if you sort of are gripping in the pause. And if you are, just see if you can find some gentleness there. It's almost like you're just cupping a butterfly. So stay with that, that gentle pause, stretching it out as long as it's interesting and comfortable. And then trying to keep it the same at the bottom of the exhale as well. And if you've lost that little eye gaze, sometimes we forget about it. You can bring that back in or maybe want to disregard that. That's great too. 
And we'll just be here for a little bit longer. We're going for three minutes here. Three minutes can really make a difference in our nervous system. And so see if you can stay with yourself and just notice when, when you move away from yourself, when the thoughts take you away. And then just use 